0: We have maybe in-space uh, manufacturing possibilities, uh, bringing 3D printers into space, which can build huge solar sails, um, and, and we just use photon uh, pressure. So uh, the sun um, doesn't only provide us you know, light, uh, but, but it also has momentum. And uh, that's fantastic. We can sail around the solar system, and, well, Breakthrough Starshot wants to go uh, with Interstellar with that.
1: Hello, space enthusiasts. You're now listening to Space Forward Podcast. I'm Hussein Bukhari. You're your host. With me are Matthias Frenzel and Benjamin Shapiro. In the show, we ask space scientists and enthusiasts what is needed that humankind becomes a multiplanetary species within our lifetime. While we're asking the hard questions, we attempt to break down complex space ideas. The first principles and deconstruct them into digestible chunks. Today, we'll take you on a deep dive into the physics of space travel. Are we merely grappling with a challenging engineering problem, or will new breakthroughs and entirely new physics be required in order to utilize space to its fullest potential? We will discuss this question with our guest, Professor Martin Tajmar, renowned Austrian physicist, professor, and chair of space systems at Technical University of Dresden. And hooray, a fellow International Space University alumnus, a member of the family. Martin has worked at NASA, ESA in South Korea, and the Austrian Institute of Technology, performing research on electrical and miniaturized propulsion and on breakthrough propulsion physics. Professor Tajmar is the author of the book Advanced Space Propulsion Systems and has received critical acclaim from the scientific community for his research on electric propulsion. Hey, Martin, great to have you on the podcast. Martin, you know, one of the things that I'm hoping that we can dive into today uh, and and the, the the idea here for this episode is getting to the depth and the concept of physics of space travel, you're a physicist, uh, your master's and your PhD thesis both were on electrical space propulsion. You know, what brought you into into physics? Can you recall a particular time or moment that represented a turning point? And uh, it was like, I'm going into space and I want to research electrical propulsion for the rest of my life and become a physicist.
0: Well, that's a fairly easy question, because um, if you asked me as a five-year-old what I would like to become, my answer was I would like to become a physicist. Uh, People asked me if I know how to spell this, actually, and uh, (laughs) it was very clear from the beginning that uh, physics, uh, that's that's what it's going to be. And uh, when I watched uh, Star Trek on television, Um, I knew that um, someone has to build a warp drive, so that's going to be me. Um, And um, yeah, so physics and space um, and this combination, um, that was very, very attractive for me. I I began this really very, very early on. And this was um, a big advantage for me that I had this clear path in front of me. So I I knew exactly what to do. Um, What I'm doing now at university is the same thing that I did as a child in my children's room, in my laboratory just I'm not doing this in order of well, many, many orders of magnitude better. But I'm doing the same kind of experiments that I was doing as a child. So I'm very, very fortunate. Yeah, very lucky. And um, yeah, I, I always knew that, that that it's going to be
1: that this kind of poses a very interesting question. And I've been always curious, because I've listened to a few interviews that you've given, you know, what kind of gave you Uh, the inspiration and the motivation to uh, entice you into the research that you're doing uh, right now in space propulsion, you know, and and what you're calling breakthrough physics and breakthrough research and breakthrough propulsion, you know, what has led you to that? Okay. Give our audience a little bit of a a background there. Sure.
0: Um, Well, I I, I kind of uh, figured out that um, the most important thing on your spacecraft, is propulsion right? So um, if you look at Star Trek, I mean, it's great to beam some people, you know, to the surface and back. But I could do this also with a shuttle. Um, it would be nice uh, to have, um, uh, you know, a food processor or whatever, but, um, but I could also bring some frozen food with me on the trip or so. Um, but <laughs> I cannot trade in, you know, the warp drive. <laughs> I, I need propulsion to do the, 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 the really fun part. Um, so, so that's the number one item. And, um, and, and so space propulsion and I you, I, I, I really have to dig deep into, into space propulsion and um yeah when i when i learned about uh, the the basics in propulsion and uh, uh what what you could do with it and, and and i realized pretty quickly that um whatever we do um the best technology that's around can just bring me to the edge of our solar system and um well that's not very far because of course i would like to explore other worlds uh, uh you know <laughs> maybe maybe find um you know other people somewhere yeah and uh um so so you need to get to the next stars somehow uh, so that's um that's that's the biggest problem to solve and um and, and it's really the biggest problem to solve because no one th- th- there is no no path that you can follow that will be successful in the end so it's it's uh, it's one of the biggest um, mysteries and one of the biggest puzzles uh, to solve and um and i thought that that's great because um you have to take on a very, very challenging problem. If you want to achieve something, uh, maybe you don't achieve that. But uh, along your way, you must be very innovative and you get so many other things that you maybe didn't think about. So you need something very challenging to achieve something big, no matter if you achieve this goal or not. So I chose that path.
1: Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's very admirable, especially um, I'm sure to our audience that you know you're taking this path of trying to figure out and trying to go to the next, uh, trying to create the next revolution in this in this in this spectrum. But you know one of the key things that I that, that really got me was uh, you know you're also a International Space University student and you went there. Um, you know what 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 we're hoping to 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 learn from you is you know not only that you were a student but you also lectured uh, are you still a faculty there how was your experience as a student uh, and becoming the uh, space becoming part of the space mafia as they, as people like to call it now <laughs> All
0: right. well i i can tell you that that um... When I was at ISU, this was my best time as a student, <laughs> yes, so um, this was uh, this was the best time and uh, not only that, you know, with the people interacting and all these um, you know, things around uh, um, around ISU, but uh, uh, what I particularly enjoyed was that every day I learned something, something else, you know, from space. Uh, One day it could be space law, the next day, you know, they bring in the president from the Japanese uh, uh, um, space agency. I'm exposed to something completely different. And the next day, the shuttle launch director from Cape Canaveral. It it was so fascinating to see all these different aspects of space and to talk uh, to key people in that area and uh, to build up your network. Yeah, that was fantastic. So, yeah.
1: Uh, it was a good setting stone for you uh and, and 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 guiding yourself into the space trajectory that you are in now you know and coming back to that spectrum of space trajectory that you're leading on now or that you're moving forward on now you know one of the things that we're hoping to do on this episode with you is deconstruct the big ideas around um two first principles you know to to get our audience to actually understand what does it mean when you think about Physics and what do you think about space travel, um, you know what would you say are the basic fundamental concept in physics um, relevant to space propulsion?
0: Okay, the basic principle is actio uh, reactio. Um, so uh, that means I have to, um, well, I have to create some momentum and 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 I get a back reaction. So that's that's the core principle on which all known propulsion systems uh, work. Which means I need to have. Propellant and/or energy to achieve propulsion, and um, and and there are some severe limits uh, to that. So if I have to bring my propellant with me on this journey, then I end up pretty well, pretty fast. I end up in a certain limit that if I want to achieve, um, let's say I want to achieve a certain end velocity with my spacecraft, I have to use all my propellant. I have to this propellant must be very energetic, so I, it has to eject at a very high velocity. Uh, in order to to achieve my let's say end velocity, and if I want to go a little bit further than that, then um, I do not have to just bring a little bit more propellant with me, but I have to bring much more propellant with me because for this little add-on, I have to bring all this additional propellant in addition. You know, to, I have to move it to um, to my original velocity, and then I have I can do the add-on. So I always have to add a huge chunk. Of propellant initially, to do then the little add-on at the end. So this is called the Tsiolkovsky equation. This is the basic equation in space propulsion, and um, and yeah, that means with um, with the options that we have. So with the with the efficiencies, with the energies that we have in propulsion available right now, um, and with the amount of propellant that we are used to, to to carry with us. So the, the basic limits that we have is then basically yeah the edge of our solar system. And that already involves, um, you know, very fancy propulsion systems like nuclear propulsion. So nuclear propulsion. So if if you just compare um, so if we go through some of the options, right? So you have chemical propulsion. So that's the workhorse of uh, present day propulsion. Um, Well, you take, for example, hydrogen and oxygen. Uh, This is a a very, very energetic combination. Um, um, You would like to arrive At an end product that is a gas yeah so so that limits you in some in some possibilities Um, and you would like to have something that is probably also not um, well which is green and not toxic and so on so actually that means that hydrogen oxygen is the best choice yeah Um, you can maybe replace hydrogen let's say with methane or so what spacex is doing um, uh, which is fairly similar and um, it has the advantage that methane um has a higher density than if I would just take hydrogen. Hydrogen is the lightest gas around. Um, So I get some some improvements there. But but um that already, if you take these best propellant options, it doesn't even bring you into orbit. It's it's um you have to actually if you want to get into orbit, you have to do this in at least two stages. So you 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 cut your rocket and uh, uh well spacex fortunately they can reuse uh, this first stage now and uh, it's coming back It's being reduced but but this whole huge tank and everything that you carry with you this is just that weight that you don't uh, use anymore so um uh, you have to to cut your 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 spacecraft in at least two pieces and um let's say if you would cut your spacecraft into or your rocket into an infinite number of pieces that just would give you a factor of two in your improvement yeah so factor if you cut your rocket in half this brings you about a factor of 1.4 um and that is enough to bring you just into orbit um if if, if you slice it in, in a million pieces you get a factor of two which is yeah it's a limit yeah and uh, so chemical propulsion yeah so the idea is now you go into space and then, um, well, you have to launch many refueling missions uh, to to, um, to to inject your, your rocket in space now with, with more propellant. And then you can go maybe off to Mars, you can maybe go off to Jupiter. This takes a couple of months, that's possible. It's very, well, it's expensive and it consumes a lot of propellant. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that, uh, that that you brought up a really good point, and I, I think our listeners would want to know um, you mentioned the, the division of rockets in multi-stages and increasing by a factor of two, you know, and this kind of leads into my next question, you know, what is a factor of two and what are some of the key metrics, um, other than the factor uh, or other than the division of multi-stages that current space propulsion or traditional space propulsion can use to optimize, uh, optimize its, its, uh, its capacity and its improvements.
0: Yep. So basically, this um, well, this this very basic rocket equation is the Tsiolkovsky equation. Uh, doesn't give you <laughs> many options uh, to to work on your uh, improvement stuff. Um, so there, there is this mass ratio that you can play with, um, and there's a so-called specific impulse. So this is this this energy in your propellant. Um, it's the propellant utilization efficiency. So it's basically the speed that your propellant. Uh, has when it when it exits your um, uh, your propulsion system. And yeah if you have that, that's why I said if you, if you have chemical propulsion you have a certain energy energy density, hydrogen oxygen is already the best. If you if you if you don't go toxic, you can say, well, I, I don't care about going toxic or not. <laughs> so I'm launching, let's say, in the middle of the ocean. There's no regulation. I don't care. Yeah? So maybe there's a Greenpeace ship coming or whatever. But if I launch quickly, you know, I can I can get off. And you can replace oxygen with fluorine, for example. Yeah. So uh, then then you get a nice acid coming out um, on the back of your propulsion system. That gives you some some little improvement factor. Here. Here. Um, but of course, this is uh, not very nice because your your launch uh, um, your launch town whatever will be destroyed by this exit, Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's a, that's not not so good. Um, so there are a couple of let's say, propellant options, some exotic propellant options that people are thinking of. Uh, for example, something like um, metallic hydrogen or so, something which is stored, you know, a very cold state under enormous pressures and whatever. Uh, uh, maybe in the future, you know, you can think about something like this. But very naturally, the next big step is not to use chemical explosives. Uh, we all know there's some much better explosive around. And, and that, that's a nuclear option. So if you go doesn't matter if you go nuclear fission or if you go nuclear fusion, um, then your energy density goes up by something like eight orders of magnitude. So this is not a factor of two, forget this, (laughs) you just go, you know, many, many orders of magnitude above. And this is technology that is around since the 1960s. It's just a political thing, so if you have a requirement to use this kind of option, then, then you know, governments can take the card and, and just implement it. So that has been done. You can with nuclear propulsion. You could, in principle, you can launch with a spacecraft from the Earth, fly into space like an airplane, come back without cutting your your rocket into pieces, um, and um, and you could go, you know, on a manned mission to to um, to Mars in one two months, and in half a year you can go manned to Jupiter. So that's uh, that's a really nice option, and uh, I always uh, compare. You know, in um, in in the old days, you know, let's say, 200 years ago, people were going with a horse carriage, right? So when they were going, let's say, from Germany to Italy and back, it took them also something like two months or so, two three months. That's a time that with nuclear propulsion, you could go to Mars. It's a good option, right? It's like in the in the old times.
1: But why does why 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 hasn't nuclear propulsion been an option since the 60s as is it's becoming more and more prevalent now? Well, I'm I'm
0: very sure that in at least 10 years or so, this nuclear propulsion option will be uh, will be available Yeah, because um, the Chinese are going to do it for sure. (laughs) And if they are doing it, the U.S. will do it. And uh, Russia has it, you know, also in their pockets. They're just waiting, you know, to to release this kind of technology. Um, Of course, everything that deals with nuclear, you know, that um, that is um, you have to convince the public and whatever uh, to do that. And um, of course, you know, the plan also was, for example, to use this only when you're already in space. Yeah? So so you launch this, and you activate it when you're in space. Uh, if you don't activate the reactor before, and the rocket explodes, so what? Uh, you you would not even measure any kind of increased reactivity. Yeah? Um, so so that's, that's, for example, one, uh, one option to do so. Um, yeah, again, this technology is, is around since decades.
1: And it just waits to be used it seems like it it's it seems like it's been uh it's been a very steady case of uh of keeping the technology development slow but steady and waiting for the right time for it to come but but you know one of the key things that we're trying to figure out through this episode and with you um, are are the the factors that space propulsion would hopefully uh be overcoming you know the limiting elements um, and, and you know it specifically for literature, it's defined as gravity, inertia, um, and, and that come in that in that domain of limiting elements. That, you know, how would you how would you put that? How would you put that? You know, uh, are these the only two main elements that are that are limiting us to improve and enhance on space propulsion physics itself? Oh, well,
0: um, again. As I said, there is no no method that we know of uh, um, that that works for sure. Yeah, um, I can give a couple of ideas how you would hypothetically uh, uh, do it. Absolutely. And um, and we can we can go through that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Hypothetical is okay. where everything starts, right? Okay, great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, the magic thing, okay, if you discover this, is minus one kilogram. If you discover minus one kilogram, we are done. <laughs> it's very easy. Yeah? So you can you can just put this four you can go and find minus one kilogram and 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 we're done, we can go to the stars. Um, why is that so? So, so the key thing here is, is mass, yeah? and especially, let's say, inertial mass, yeah? because inertial mass, it's, it's linked to the force, to, to everything mechanical that we do. And, and if we have a rocket flying, whatever, that's all mechanics. OK, so it's, it's all it all relies on on, let's say, good old Newton's mechanics. Force is mass, inertial mass times acceleration yeah and so if you want to change this somehow you have to work on the mass on the inertial mass yeah and um, just two examples of how this could work Um, option one you maybe achieve to change your inertial mass by a little bit yeah very small amount yeah, for example, let's let's um, let's just expose this a little bit. E is mc square. everyone knows. Energy is mass times speed of light to the square. So which means let's say I have a capacitor and I charge this capacitor, then this capacitor will increase uh, in its mass huh? because I increase the energy and whatever yeah. Um, by the way, in this example, the power supply must be external. <laughs> it's not going to be in the spacecraft because then it will just shift energy from one side to the other side. But in just our example, I charge up a capacity from the outside and so it, it, it increases in mass. And uh, when I discharge it, is charged, again going to the outside, then on my spacecraft, um, um, then the mass would decrease. So if I find a method to somehow do this exchange with my environment to, you know, a little bit of mass goes to the outside, and then when I need it again, I will bring it back, That's, that would be something, because then I could do the following. Let's say my mass is a little bit bigger, and I push it, and then I wait until the mass is a little bit lighter again, and then I pull it again. And the push and pull it when the mass is high and low, and, so, and that means I can, whoop, 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 I could move in space-time with that. Without expelling propellant, yeah, by giving something to the environment and um, taking it back, yeah. So that's 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 for example method number one. The really cool method is um, method number two. In method number two, I I say that um, hey, uh, let's say I achieve to go even negative in mass, yeah. So now I'm not changing mass a little bit. I'm going negative. If I do that, then if I have positive and and negative mass next to each other, negative mass is actually something totally magic. So it's a magic trick, okay? If you have normal mass on your table, and you push it, this mass is going to accelerate in the same direction as I push it, f is n times a. Now I do the magic trick, that stuff becomes negative, which means I try to push it, and it's actually coming to me. OK, it's totally weird. And you can say, hey, uh, has this ever been observed in the lab? <laughs> the good news is, yes, it has. <laughs> so um, uh, our technology becomes better and better. And we can we can actually create our own uh, uh, little universe uh, in our laboratories. And uh, you can actually um, um, bring matter into the state of that it behaves like if it would have negative inertia yeah? um, there is there are some 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 great papers out there you know one of the most famous physicists in in austria is professor zeilinger yeah so the head of the academy of sciences very well known a professor and in the 1990s he did lots of experiments with Neutrons actually, and um, nowadays he's very well known for quantum teleportation. Yeah, so doing lots of stuff with photons. In the early days, he was actually doing lots of things with neutrons. And um, for example, he also investigated if F is m times a. So like Newton said, also for if you would have negative mass, does Newton's law still hold? Because this magic trick that I told you, I push on something, a negative mass comes to me. Who knows if this you know is true for for, for Newton's law. Yeah? Uh, um, Newton wasn't aware of this. Maybe he thought, you know, m- maybe it's uh, it's the absolute value of mass times acceleration that's force. Yeah, uh, um, He didn't write it down because there's no negative mass. Let's say, let's try to investigate. Does such a case exist? And um, well, what he showed was that if you if you have a neutron beam, And this neutron beam actually at the right angle with the right energies and whatever goes inside a crystal. Then this neutron beam splits. One beam behaves as if it would have positive effective mass and the other one behaves as if it would have negative effective mass. And then they looked at the following, you know, this neutron beam is the split and was, was, was going in the same direction. And now gravity is acting on both, right? So gravity pulls down the positive neutrons and they fall down. And gravity pulls on the negative mass uh, uh, neutrons, and actually they go up. <laughs> so you see that this neutron beam is actually, you know, splitting, because because both are being pulled, but but you know, for the negative mass neutrons, they are flying upwards. So there's a great paper out there from Professor And The title is something like, you know, uh, um, uh, neutrons that fly upwards in the gravitational field. that's I would give him the Nobel prize for that. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> and I and so would I if I was part of that part of that team. But you know one of the one of the key things that uh, or, or one of the things that I'm starting to understand that a lot of these a lot of these fundamentals that have evolved into conceptuals that have evolved into broader ideas and formulation of different uh different segment uh, and, and segmented into multiple different approaches. Uh, you know, it is a challenge that each one of those are facing today to bring it out and become a prominent, uh, 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 becoming a, a prominent standalone against what we already have, which is chemical propulsion. We know chemical propulsion works because we have done it for thousands of years, you know, and, uh, and we're trying to still improve, it seems like we're still trying to improve a lot of the factors that involve chemical propulsion. And this has evolved that original Tsiolkovsky equation into a much harder problem. But, you know, in order for to, us to, as a human species and as people who are continuously solving challenges, to get to the Earth orbit and to get there faster... But not just that. But to get to interstellar, you know, what is the hardest problem that you think that we have to solve in this in this in this realm?
0: Well, again, it's a two different things. So to get into orbit, um, it's just um, just time and money. So SpaceX SpaceX is solving this for us. That's great. <laughs> so this is actually um, you know uh, something that maybe appears an opportunity appears you know once uh, in a century or whatever that the richest man in the world uh, decides to put his money on solving space travel. <laughs> That's fantastic. <Yes>. So, <laughs> so it, it's just a time time, and money and with some good engineering. So the way how, how they do it, um, they, they improve the rocket engines. Uh, um, I mean, they, they have right now a combustion efficiency of something like 99%. Well, there's room for improvement, but the gain, the gain <laughs> is going to be really smart. <laughs> okay, so yeah. I think chemical propulsion is already, it's there, yeah? So they, are, of course, they are trying now to uh, improve the, um, uh, the thrust a weight ratio, so they're trying to make it more lightweight. They increase the pressure, so they have more thrust and whatever, yeah? But from the energy that they put in to the energy that's coming out, there's not much more to be improved, yeah. Uh, so you can just become cheaper. Uh, um, um, you can bring a little bit more mass uh, uh, into orbit if, if your whole rocket becomes lighter. Um, um, these kind of things. But if once this is going into kind of uh, you know mass manufacturing, so if if they really make something like a thousand Starships, uh, what they what what they plan to do so, then that's solved, yeah. It's uh, um, you, you can hardly uh, to uh, to do better than that yeah so the chinese um, are doing it right now yeah so um let's save in europe <laughs> i'm not so sure or convinced if uh, if uh, um this is also going uh, to uh, to be followed but uh, um yeah i mean then then you have i mean probably also jeff bezos with, with blue origin uh, will uh, will get it uh, we get in there. it's great competition is is, is, uh, is always good but the access to space i mean just look how, how the numbers were falling down. When I was going to ISU, so, you know, we were counting with 20 dollars to $25,000 per kilogram that you put into orbit. Now, with Falcon Heavy, whatever, if you're lucky, you pay $2,000 <laughs> per kilogram. And if uh, they they do this well with Starship, well, it's $100 per kilogram. Um, this, this is like what I pay with UPS, if, if I want to have a package, you know, <laughs> going from Germany to, to, to the UK or whatever, uh, um, you know, and, and, and then I put put some, some insurance on top of it. So, same price. So, so, so that has been sold a couple of years. Access to space is, um, is affordable enough to, to just take it for granted. This is just a, a way of transportation that everyone is free to use.
1: Yeah, yeah, you brought you brought up an excellent point and I want to I want to I want to poke on that a little bit that you know would you agree that in in the basis of where we are with SpaceX, Blue Origin, um, relativity space, uh, uh, ways of manufacturing in the launch industry um, to improve from earth to orbit it's become an engineering problem. That,
0: for sure. There's there, there, there is no there's no physics, uh, um, you know, factor that uh, that stops you uh, from doing so. Um,
1: yeah, it's and and Elon, you know, I I want to talk about that a little bit because it seems like he's become a uh, a very good prominent figure not only in the space industry but also, uh, you know, he revolutionized uh, the automotive industry from Tesla and with Tesla, um, and he's betting on making the space industry a primary and. Is he going in the right direction? Um, you know the 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 concept that or the bet that you would put on Elon today to make the industry better um, would that be appropriate? Or would you bet? Would you bet on Elon to make the space launch industry better? Definitely,
0: yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan. So so um, you know I I I was fearing actually so before Elon actually came to stage. So my fear was that. Um, um, until I retire, you know, I, I'm not going to see any human mission to Mars. <laughs> so, so, this has always been postponed and it's a huge international effort. And maybe in the mid 30s, maybe mid 40s. Yeah. And, and who knows? And this is really a top priority or not. Yeah. Maybe we stick with robotic probes. Um, it really needs someone to decide, you know, oh, well, we're going to do this. And this person is not limited to political terms. So not that in four years we're changing because something else came up, which is also important. And so Elon Musk <laughs> apparently is also an excellent scientist and engineer. So he understands exactly what needs to be done and, and he can manage a big team. Plus he has the, the the resources necessary to do so. So that's what I said, this is the chance of a century. Yeah. So it's like Tesla and and Edison, you know, invented and revolutionized how we deal with electricity. So Elon Musk is revolutionizing transportation. Yeah, like Henry Ford revolutionized how to build an automobile. Now it's the next revolution.
1: Yeah, and 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 you brought up a really good good point there, and I'm hoping to 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 expand on this a little bit here for our listeners, is that. You know, a lot of great names have done a lot of good things because they were able to do it by themselves or with a great team or able to manage a great team. Um, But with Elon, you know, it's very, very interesting that uh, he did something on the basis of other principles and he was able to improve on that by creating multiple roads of efficiency. Um, You know, but do you think that he'll be able to figure out a way to do the next big thing after the rocket? And what do you think that next big thing after the rocket could be?
0: Um, <laughs> well, I think uh, he will be very, very happy if uh, if uh, if he gets uh, a Starship uh, really up and running. And and for him, the next big thing is uh, uh, to build a city on Mars. Um, that's that's a huge challenge. It's not oh well, we cannot go to Mars. That's great. <laughs> Are many things that need to be done. We have to produce propellant there on site. This this city must be self-sustained. Yeah, you have to produce food. Uh, you you have to do this uh, well. You have to cope with radiation damages and whatever for people. Um, there, there are many things that need to be done, especially on the engineering side, uh, to have a self-sustaining city on Mars. So transportation is the first step. But there are many steps to follow, so I guess he will uh, he will go towards that. So the technology is necessary to have something completely self sustained, and um, actually, you can you can use that type of technologies then to build a generation starship, (laughs) you know, to to go somewhere else.
1: And and that brings up a really good point, also, because you know I'm very curious to learn and and hear about what your thoughts are on you know where. A starship and the next versions of Starship per se, and what kind of innovations will they involve, and what kind of new principles evolved from fundamentals they will involve. And it brings up a good point which you're really uh, interested in, and I've 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 read some things about this idea of breakthrough physics, which goes beyond um, goes beyond the Earth's orbit, and for us to be able to travel as a species to other planetary bodies. What are your thoughts there? You know, what would be best for us to do from Earth orbit to the Moon and to Mars and to further on interstellar?
0: Okay, again, uh, those are the two things. So um, we can, with Starship, you know, we can go to the Moon in three days. And uh, if the ticket is, um, you know, the price of a Business class ticket from Europe to the U.S. Then that's fine with me. You don't need break for propulsion to do that. That's great. Yeah. So so Moon, Mars, and maybe again half a year to Jupiter. We will do that. Yeah. Fortunately, with Elon Musk and SpaceX and whatever, we will do this. This is just a matter of of time and, and not well. In the next decade, we will have this Mars thing going. Maybe uh, we will start and already. Maybe exploring, maybe towards Jupiter or whatever, because uh, um, uh, the moons there are really of, uh, of uh, well, they're, they're very interesting. Uh, there could be life there. Uh, it, it mustn't only be Mars. Um, and uh, um, yeah, and terraforming, whatever you do, that that's maybe the next thing here. Well, the into Stellar. This is this is again something else. And maybe maybe let me give you an example of what kind of a challenge that is and uh, some standard solutions and the non-standard solutions. So let's imagine you would like to go interstellar with a spacecraft the size of the space shuttle. Okay, because this is actually the space shuttle is actually quite big. uh, uh, It seems small, but it's actually uh, quite big. And uh, let's say you want to take the space shuttle and just go to the next star, so Proxima Centauri. We know there's maybe an interesting planet. Um, they recently found a signal that may come from there. <laughs> maybe we can check out, you know, who is behind that, that signal. Breakthrough Listen did that, and um, uh, so I just want to go there. Let's say in 40 years, because uh, 40 years, the time span, uh, I-, I could still be alive. Maybe to see, you know, what's going on. And the space shuttle is big enough that I can uh, take some canned food with me for 40 years uh plus some some spare oxygen uh, to still be alive, in a couple of books and whatever uh uh, uh to make that trip um, all right so space shuttle would work for such a full 40 year long trip um, um the thing is uh, what kind of propulsion system could bring it there well let's take the best propulsion system that is around that i can take off the shelf and the best propulsion system there is is A nuclear bomb, (laughs) okay, so this is the best. So uh, this is EMC square, can it do better than that? Direct conversion of uh, mass into energy is the best. And I just take a bomb, uh, I put it behind my spacecraft, I push the button. It ignites a huge explosion, uh, much better than than everything uh, they're doing with chemical propulsion. And off I go, okay? I can design my spacecraft in such a way that um, this um, push and absorber plate yeah, is uh, is 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 good enough that it withstands a couple of thousand nuclear blasts. So that can bring me to to a really significant uh, type of speed. So that's the best thing you can imagine. That has been done. Yeah. So I mean, the concept was developed called Project Orion, 1950s and 60s. And uh, but but when they saw that the Saturn V rocket was doing fine, well, this project was stopped. But this is something that. You know nuclear bombs this is actually a mass product that that you can take from these intercontinental (laughs) missiles and you can do some much better use with that just drop it behind your spacecraft and off you go it's the best that we just came up with and the thing is now i take nuclear pulse propulsion so nuclear bomb the best there is the space shuttle in 40 years do you know the mass of nuclear bombs that you have to carry with you to do that job it's the mass of the sun okay (laughs) and that's just to the next star so that means forget it okay so it's it's not going it's not going to happen not with that that's not going to happen (laughs) so so there are now two options option a correct correct okay it's not possible um so uh, um it's not po- what's not possible it's not possible in 40 years it's maybe possible in 10000 years okay then uh, uh then I, I need a generation a starship you know I, i'm uh, here's some huge um that, that has all the infrastructure for a whole civilization you know to to, to live but ten years it's it's a long time it's from the stone age you know up to the modern times and, and all of that in a confined space totally crazy yeah so uh, i that, so that's that's one option that maybe maybe you can do that um, um but very unlikely and uh, i think there's a much better uh, uh, option b actually and maybe this was our fate as i think for, for for humans um it's actually going to be a computer that we will send on this journey uh, um, you know the computer maybe it's not as bored as we are you know for ten thousand years to you know think uh, what what we can do um maybe maybe it was uh, our destiny you know, for humans uh, to to uh, to develop artificial intelligence and um, to have a being that that we develop a being which is not limited by our biological processes and um, to develop something so you can think about this in a hundred years for sure we have uh, something I mean they, they predict that by uh, twenty forty or whatever um, so artificial intelligence will bypass human intelligence. Well, you add an, another few decades and you have something very solid and robust. And in a 100 years or whatever, we will send a probe to to all these different star systems. It will be like, yeah, I'm not saying the Borg in Star Trek or whatever. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, which is not limited, but it's, it's just a time factor. It's just us humans, we want to do things quickly. But, well, there's the speed of light limit and whatever. It takes a certain amount of time to go somewhere, and um, if it's just us which has the problems, then well, it's the artificial intelligence that can do it, and uh, and they can explore uh, the universe. So so that would be uh, option B. So either you have a generation starship, uh, or uh, you um, or you do the artificial intelligence option, unless unless you circumvent this um, this problem. <laughs> of uh, how we do propulsion nowadays with f is m times a and um, as i told you didn't finish that if you have negative mass yeah um there's a huge trick that you can do so imagine that you have now positive and negative mass just next to each other And let's say one is positively and the other one is negatively charged so they attract each other they attract each other and uh, the the positive mass you know is being attracted to the negative one the negative attract the positive one and the thing is that this negative mass means that this attraction direction for the negative mass flips and instead of moving towards the positive mass it's actually now going away so this two mass system this inertial dipole positive negative mass will start to self-accelerate okay so you don't do anything you don't inject energy or mass and this dipole is starting to self-accelerate yeah you you, you you we can it's an academic exercise to think if it will reach a speed of light if it will even go beyond the speed of light yeah this is something that we have to prove like chuck yeager did with breaking the the sound barrier i would be happy already with going with the speed of light that's okay for me and um, so you just ...have to build something that has minus whatever kilogram. And the thing is that what Professor Zeilinger did with his crystal in the neutrons, the neutrons only get into this state inside this crystal. So that's the problem. We need negative mass here on the outside. It could be that there are negative mass particles in the universe. It's not forbidden. It can just be that we just haven't found it. We have to keep digging or look with space probes. Maybe it's related to dark energy, whatever. No one knows, yeah? So it can be that there is this kind of discovery being made. Hey, we just found particles that behave these, this has this weird behavior. I push it and it comes to me. If you found that... Job done. You develop a space drive. <laughs> so, so then space is moving. You, you don't need to to inject propellant or or do something with this. Yeah? Um, another method also that you can think about is to use the, the vacuum background. Yeah? So to, to use the vacuum background, to so we sit on this huge energy density called the zero-point energy, to use this somehow as a propellant. So this would also use our ambient space um, as a as a propellant, so either you build a space drive, or a generation spacecraft, or artificial intelligence. Those are the three things.
1: Or artificial intelligence. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up uh, the the and I was reading on the project that, you, that you're working on, the space drive project, and um, something very interesting. Uh, that 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 led me to understanding that and actually getting a brief understanding of that was uh, uh, your work on uh, or the or the work on breakthrough physics and uh, to 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 discover new approaches and um, in in approaching this type of this type of problem. But I'm also very curious about the work that you did on gravitational field uh, fields uh, in regards to electrical propulsion systems and that which which received. Uh, quite a bit of international recognition. You know, can you give us a background on uh, an insight onto that discovery? How did you how did you end up there? Well,
0: <laughs> how I came into electric propulsion? Um, you know, when I when I studied uh, physics at the Vienna University of Technologies, um, this was at a time when there was no internet <laughs> so my my children they cannot believe <laughs> how it's possible to live in a world without internet and um, so there actually it was a booklet with all the lectures in there and you you could uh, go through the books. Uh, uh, for the book and for all the lectures and and to see you know what's being offered and and what you can do and um, so I was very interested of course in space propulsion I was um, I was uh, very keen on on physics and uh, um, yeah I had my little lab in my in my in my in my children room and I was building huge high voltage power supplies and this kind of stuff because I thought that's well I'm going to need that and so when I was browsing this book I saw one lecture called um uh, electric space propulsion (laughs) Uh, i said aha that sounds more or less exactly like what i would like to do and um, i was in the second semester so very early on this was already this was a course for graduate students i immediately registered i said well i uh, exactly my topic and um, that's when i was first exposed to to uh, what you know, what's uh, what's being done in, in so-called electric propulsion. So in electric propulsion, it's not like, uh, well, in chemical propulsion, you combine two propellants uh, to create a hot gas, which is doing propulsion. In electric propulsion, you actually, um, are actually using electric and or magnetic fields to create acceleration. And uh, um, so if your propellant is charged, So you have ions, plasma. You can accelerate that with electric and magnetic fields to much higher speeds compared to chemical propulsion. And that means that your propellant efficiency is much higher. You need much less propellant to do the same job. So that's very interesting. Um, The downside here is that you have to bring your own electric energy with you. And uh, so you're limited, let's say, by the power that you get from solar rays. That improved over time significantly. So when I looked into this in the you know, early 1990s, uh, this was still called, oh, advanced propulsion and that's going to come or whatever. Now electric propulsion is a mainstream technology. You have um, kilowatts, tens of kilowatts available on the spacecraft. There's lots of power available to electric propulsion, um, and that's the so-called number one choice for in-space propulsion. So once your satellite is in orbit, you use electric thrusters uh, to keep there, uh, change your orbit, change orientation, whatever. Starlink satellites from SpaceX—they uh, also use their own electropulsion, propulsion hall thruster on board uh, to, uh, to do the job. So uh, electropulsion propulsion is—it's it's, let's say the better propulsion option, but um, you well you're limited to the fact that usually you need a good vacuum to do to operate this type of thrusters. So that means you can only do this in space. And another limit is that um, the amount of forces that you have are much lower because it's limited by the energy. Just think about, if you think about the, the, um, the power density of a chemical combustion chamber, yeah. so that's about one gigawatt per cubic meters. A gigawatt, that's the power output from a nuclear power plant so uh one gigawatt on the size of one cubic meter yeah Uh, on a satellite i don't have gigawatts available i usually have kilowatts and that means i have much lower thrust but who cares it just you know it takes maybe a few months to get into your orbit so what (laughs) just takes a few months but but i just use a fraction of the propellant and then my spacecraft can Become much smaller, uh, it's much cheaper, and so on and so forth. So electric propulsion is a big thing, and um, yeah, I I got my hands dirty with lots of uh, electric propulsion uh, uh, options. So one that uses liquid metal, especially for propellants. So we developed a very precise uh, uh, so-called field emission thrusters. And um, um, I, I'm building, I'm building very classical electroplasion uh, thrusters already with a, always with a certain spin. I always see myself at least uh, two steps ahead of everyone else. <laughs> so if you want to do innovation, I mean, I don't want to do just what everyone else is doing. Uh, so I always come in with something <laughs> very unusual, and uh, that's uh, that's good. So that's why I'm in university. I'm I'm really trying I'm I'm really trying to push the boundaries and do something new. So I come up with new materials, uh, new manufacturing schemes, uh, um, uh, new layouts and whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, we we have lots of fun building building all kinds of different thrusters and uh, improving them.
1: You know, it's very uh, I, I'm glad that you brought up uh, the idea uh, the fact that that you where you are doing this. You know, in terms of uh, the environment that you're doing this in. It's a very collegial environment, very involving environment where a lot of freedom can take place in terms of research, and I'm I'm very curious to understand that you know over the course of time, uh, and I'm sure the audience also is is that what are some of the promising concepts other than the ones that we've already talked about you know, uh we've talked about nuclear we've talked about hall thrusters we've talked about various types of electrical propulsion systems, you know what are what are some of the promising concepts that you think, uh that in the next you know 20-30 years will be more prominent than others um okay it's always very hard
0: to predict the future right (laughs) (laughs) um, if i if i would knew (laughs) what's going to happen in 20 years then uh, well i i can just uh, give you some educated guesses Let's say for elective propulsion, the thing is that it became such a major business. Um, The key thing here is um, how to really drastically cut costs. So I cannot tell you what's going to happen in 20 or 30 years or so, but I can tell you in the next 10 years um, lots of things are going to happen with additive manufacturing, new materials, um, smarter way of doing things that, um, you know, frusters that uh, cost millions uh, will sell for a couple of 10,000 or so. Yeah? So that's, uh, that's going to happen. Yeah? So that's already happened. Again, <laughs> SpaceX, what is launching with Starlink? 15,000 satellites? 15,000 hole thrusters. <laughs> you, you just have to compare this to just a few years ago you know when people tried to make a business case for electric propulsion and they said yeah um, let's assume they're going to launch maybe you know five five big satellites in the next year or so and, and we get a market share of 20 percent, so we can sell maybe a couple of rosters or so <laughs> okay <laughs> and now someone says oh i'm going to beat 50,000 satellites."
1: satellites
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you you cannot sell your million Euro dollar type thruster anymore. It's just not going to be possible. So um, The thrusters that we have are pretty good. So you just drastically improve in cost. It's just going to be much much more cheaper um, And uh, more accessible to everyone Um, Yeah, so that's that that's a big driving factor Um, Yeah, of course, I'm 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 always working on some some also, unusual electric thrusters concepts, and um, um, well, just read my publications. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing right now, but uh, it's yeah, fun. yeah, absolutely. It's fun. And
1: we'll, we'll 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 let our audience have a sure, look at. Sure. Yeah, we'll we'll let our audience look at you know a few papers that you have that you have uh, put out there. You know, but I'm curious to ta- to hear your thoughts about you know the large governmental and non-governmental and commercial organizations that are sort of like conducting other types of research, which I'm sure that you have an idea, NASA, Google X, Starshot, uh, conducting research into light sails and warp drives. Uh, you know, do you think that we're at a point where it is uh, close to an engineering concept or an engineering problem, whereas or it's still a physics problem?
0: Again, to make it quick for the warp drive, um, again there is no one knows what to do to build a warp drive. Yeah, huh? um, other than that, I just told you go and find minus one kilogram, and and job is done. So I'm I'm trying to to fool around the best as the best that I can to to find an answer to that problem. Um, I'm, I'm testing everything there is. I'm trying to develop the best test infrastructure um, to find such kind of effects. So I'm concentrating on, on building really the, the, the best thrust balances and whatever there is, and then to put everything onto the test and um, and not only test other concepts, but also come up with interesting experiments. To try to, uh, to 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 look. Uh, into into corners uh, that have not been assessed so far. So you always find something new or unexpected if you look with a new method or if you look into a, um, into a, um, into a regime that no one has ever checked before. So that's what I'm trying to do there. But I mean, I I cannot give you any kind of guarantee because no one knows if if we're going to find something. I, I really take this as it's just a trick. It's, it's just once you know how to do it, it's just a trick. And we could have done this already, but, but you know, Jill Verne once said, everything that we can imagine must be possible because we are part of nature. And uh, so it's just it's just a trick, okay? Um, if, if you look, uh, uh, Arthur C. Clark said that um, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. If a hundred years ago, I would have showed someone a smartphone the best magic trick ever. You cannot figure it out, right? So I just keep going. <laughs> I keep going. I try to dig. I try to find. I I, I build um, better test equipment, whatever. I don't stop until I find this magic trick. Okay, but there's there's no there's no guarantee here uh, for for these other propellant options that that just said like solar sails and whatever. For sure, that's going to come. That's great. Propellantless propulsion. Um, this is um, this is well. Again, it's not something new because it has been flown. It's just being improved and being improved on. Uh, but but we have new materials. Um, uh, we have maybe in space uh, manufacturing possibilities, uh, bringing three D printers into space, which can build huge solar sails, um, and and we just use a uh, photon pressure. So uh, the sun um, doesn't only provide us, you know, light, uh, but but it also has a momentum associated with it, and uh, that's fantastic. We can we can sail around. Uh, uh, the solar system, and um, well, Breakthrough Starshot wants to go uh, interstellar with that, but there are a couple of uh, there are a couple of uh, challenging uh, uh, technologies <laughs> that need to be solved uh, um, to do so. Uh, which is of course also it's great they, they also keep going and uh, and uh, and who knows where they will end up with, but it's great that you start up with something. If you if you don't start, then then you will never achieve anything so if i say oh the warp drive (laughs) forget it yeah show me one concept in physics that tells me that it's going to work i can't so you know that 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 means i shall not give it a try i don't think so yeah um and uh um this was throughout history okay it happened so many times that you discover something totally unexpected yeah and um uh, superconductivity whatever (laughs) No one ever thought about this, yeah? so so it can happen. And what did Ons do? He tried to test in a regime that has never been tested before. So what's going to happen if I measure electric resistance at very low temperatures? No, yeah? well, he found out that at a certain critical temperature it disappears. So so I'm also trying to look into regimes no one has looked before or with a resolution, with a precision no one has done before. I'm I'm trying to do that, yeah? and uh, I'm trying to. Yeah, find something unexpected.
1: And this is, and 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 this brings up a, an interesting point that uh, I'm sure that you have some thoughts on, you know, the the lack of applied research power or abilities um, of the past. You know, the freedom of research uh, connected to, uh, you know, doing cutting edge type of research and the the continuity of that. You know there are a lot of organizations, um, DLR, Flatiron Institute, Simons Foundations that are making tremendous progress and pretty steady as they're doing it. Do you think that in terms of the power and the capacity that we can apply to research and development is decreased over time, or and can we do more in terms of continuing to uh, you know provide the researchers? uh for 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 the future more resources
0: well um of course it's very essential uh, to have a very good research environment so again i'm i'm very very fortunate um that i was always um you know working in in in, um, very good organizations that uh, that provide this type of freedom and especially if you want to do something um you know that that goes far into the future well the best environment there is, is university so this is uh, you know we, we think about the future we're trying to be extremely innovative so that's the right place uh, to do this kind of um, of uh, of uh, of research uh, and um, you know also at love whatever they they told me you know the worst thing that can happen is that uh, that we learn something from it <laughs> so, so it's 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 the perfect education project i can tell you so my students if we find a work drive or not yeah but whatever we do to, to 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 solve very challenging measurement problems yeah or look into things someone has ever looked before they, they they have a fantastic education yeah so this is much better than to Repeat when everyone else is doing. It. <laughs> so this is this is a great uh, thing, and of course we can always do more. And um, something that I encountered, which is um, which is um, something very important, is to drastically, drastically reduce bureaucracy. Because also many people ask me, how come SpaceX can you know launch uh, people into space and NASA can't do it? I said, well. <laughs> I think I know exactly why. Um, when I was a PhD student, I was very fortunate to spend a few months at NASA JPL, and uh, it was a really fantastic time. And uh, I remember, so I, I got a I got a desk, and uh, I wanted to just get some ballpoint pens and whatever. And I went to the secretary and said, "Well, I, I would need a couple of ballpoint pens." And she asked me, "You know, what's your charging number <laughs> for that?" said, for a few more against <laughs> Oh my God, we will never ever go back to the moon. So I I knew it. It's going to be impossible. Okay, we cannot do it. Someone at Boeing told me, if you're going to order as a private individual, if you're going to to order the space station, it's going to be for a one twentieth of the cost. Then if NASA and all those international partners are going to order it, so. It's absolutely ridiculous. Are you kidding me? Yeah, so that has to stop immediately. <laughs> so, can you imagine? You know, you cut loose the amount of money and the amount of time that researchers have now to put into being productive instead of doing meetings and filling out these forms in bureaucracy. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so, that's it.
1: <laughs> and 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 community plays a large part in in helping move the government and organizations in that in that spectrum and I think you know from a from a researcher perspective I'm curious to hear your thoughts on you know uh, from a research standpoint not the administration of the university or or the bureaucracy of of uh, of of the of a specific government you know <clears throat> Uh, the 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 involvement of the crowd slash public into helping research um, become more and more involved with the citizens uh and how can we do that you know the idea that current uh researchers are often have a micro community of, PhD students, master students who are conducting these specific type of researchers research. Um, what can we do to enhance that citizen edge research? Uh, and uh, do you have do you have any thoughts on that? You know, the SETI Institute involved a, a, a very first community uh, where they inspired research and initiatives through crowdsourcing.
0: Um, okay, um, so yes, if um, if. Um if of course, if if, if private individuals uh, um, um, you know come together and say, well, we would like to fund the warp drive or whatever, it's fantastic. <laughs> so, so I just I can open uh, you know a, a, an account uh, where I can accept this kind of donations. So if if, if that's if that's possible, of course that's uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, if um, if um, if private people um, are, are are deciding that. Um, this is important um, and, and, and things that can move in, in, in into this direction. That's for sure part of the game. And um, yeah, we can see this, we can see this probably also more frequently. Um, maybe also because people are trying to see, you know if they look for a good investment yeah maybe they want to invest directly into an idea instead of uh, buying shares or whatever i mean you don't get any interest at the bank (laughs) anymore so yeah you are you 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 have to you have to invest um so so that's for sure something that's uh, that's going to to come and um also there i can just encourage to say no strings attached. <laughs> okay. I give you some money. Okay. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I trust that, that, uh, that your ideas uh, will work out, but the best environment for you is to have the, the least strings attached for a researcher, the best it is. Yeah. So, um, if you look for example at Bell Labs, also the stories, you know, Bell Labs, they get the best people and they say, well, you know, you, you can do whatever you like. So so, and and your your partner gets a nice job too. You know, um, tell us what you need, and uh, you know, just do whatever you like to. Um, I also, I was told by, by another famous professor, he became professor at MIT, he said when he became professor at MIT, the president from MIT came to him and said, um, you know, I, I don't care what you're doing, I really don't care, okay, you can do whatever you like to, um, in four years I'm coming back and whatever you did must be world class, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the only thing that counts okay whatever you do you must be very good but but don't constrain people also for example when i'm trying to hire faculty or something like this so right now it's being done in a very narrow thing oh we need an expert in exactly that and that regime it's very hard to find this type of people i try to convince our faculty to go a little bit in another direction to saying well Let's just say, let's say we need something, someone excellent in aerospace, I don't care particularly what he's doing, must be just a great fit and so to keep open, don't, don't put strings on people, just let them do and it can be that today he's doing that and maybe in a year he becomes, you know, an idea of talking to a colleague or whatever, doing something completely different becomes really excellent in that. So don't, you know, put strings on people, let them go. Okay, let them go. And that is that is your path to innovation. Freedom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Freedom and yeah yeah and no bureaucracy. Okay, Freedom so and no bureaucracy.
1: Excellent. The, yeah, yeah.
0: This is that's
1: that's uh, that's a sweet spot. I know I'm very cognizant of time and I, I have a few questions for you about economics of space and we have dived into it a little bit um, but I like to get your thoughts on it before we wrap up our our, our episode here with you um, you know I am very curious and I'm a very big proponent of sustainability um, and ensuring that you know we do, as less moving forward in mitigation of, of the climate change and uh, and ensuring that we don't get to that point of no return. Um, you know, how can we make sure that we do that uh, to the launch market and in, uh, into the orbit?
0: To have a fully reusable spacecraft is your first step, <laughs> I think. I mean, right now, you know, you launch something in a huge chunk, of useless mass is floating around space. That's ridiculous, right? So um, it's already a very good option to go into space and come back and don't leave anything behind. I mean, that's that's the best there is. Um, Of course, if you put 15,000 satellites into space, um, yeah. (laughs) It's, we will not go back to the days uh, before Sputnik, where the sky was completely empty. yeah it's it's i think it's it's kind of part of um being humans we 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 grow we develop we um you know we uh, we go somewhere to stay um of course this has an influence on nature that's that's undeniable uh, especially you know if, if you do it too much yeah it's very hard you you cannot say to people hey we are now eight nine billion people uh, stop how, how do you want to go to someone and say hey I think uh, I think you should not have a child, it's it's, 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 it's not right. It's, it's it's not really possible. It's part of of being human uh, that these things develop. nature, on the other hand, reacts as we can see and uh, and uh, that that will put limits to everything. so so nature will react drastically um, and uh, we try to put things together, but just the fact that we are so many people. Let's say everyone is going to use an electric car. that's great. um now, where's all the power coming from yeah and uh, and so on and so forth. so if we do too much it it's there is always going to be a problem always, no matter what you do and um yeah, we have to live with this
1: but do you so here's a here's a question for you you know um and this is coming from a very economical regulatory standpoint um the rules that f c c brought forward in terms of deorbiting capabilities on board satellites, which increases eventual demand for, you know, electric propulsion systems to to, to, to be on there, uh on onboard satellites. Do you think that uh the this will help the the orbit become decluttered? Or do you think that this is going to be one of those scenarios where uh you know i have this capability but i want to make my satellite stay up there for longer
0: mm. um well for example here in germany it, it's already you know um, the regulation that if you bring something into space this something has to deorbit orbit in 25 years yeah? so either you have the deorbiting means that that you really get away from space, you, you re, re-enter again, or you move farther away such that you make space for someone else, for example, going to gay stationary orbit. But that means that you just move your graveyard a little bit away. You still put huge chunk of stuff up there. So again, Elon Musk student, is doing this very smart with Starlink. The Starlink satellites are flying in such a low orbit that even if you don't do anything, they will do orbit automatically in a year or so. So you don't keep if you launch as many satellites you don't keep them in in space um, um that's uh, that's that's something great already um but again it's um yeah we will have i mean electric propulsion whatever you you can you can make you have deorbiting orbiting strategies are very important uh, we are also working on a great orbiting project um but yeah maybe once we have um we have a fully reusable spacecraft. We can really deploy, I don't know, huge nets in space to really collect all the garbage and bring it back or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not moving into the direction um, that actually the sky is becoming cleaner. It's actually going in the other direction. There will be more junk up there for sure. Just imagine, you know, one satellite hits another one that creates so much more junk yeah we we screwed it up unfortunately there is absolutely um,
1: yeah absolutely i i totally agree with that and i think um hopefully we don't get to a point where it becomes um a point of no return for us before we get to that climate change point of no return but i'm i'm you know i i like i said i'm very cognizant of time and i don't want to take too much of yours um, I'm very curious to hear your thought on this, you know, to each and every single guest, we, we typically ask, how do you think that we can help ensure that space continues to move forward?
0: Um, how can we ensure that space is moving forward? So I think this is again, something very natural. Yeah. So. Uh, we came from the water. Yeah, we came uh, onto the land. Uh, we built ships uh, to go to other continents. Then we discovered how to fly, and um, and the next thing is space. This is in our DNA. Cannot stop this. So even if you would put a stop on all space activities, just wait one generation or whatever, new politicians, and this will come up again. It's part of our DNA. So it's going to happen. Um, the best support at the moment if you really want to go you know further with space is to support elon musk and maybe jeff bezos or whatever that's the best i can think of um this is again the chance of a century it would not happen otherwise so it's the best i can do
1: well i think martin um, i i'd like to add on to that point to support martin in helping ensure that his that his that his research continues to move forward but I truly appreciate the time that you've taken today. Uh, and I'm sure our audience has as well. Uh, and and thank you so much for coming and dropping by. I am sure that eventual in the future with the amount of work that you're doing, we're going to have you on board again uh, for another topic similar to this or even further on. Because, uh, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the work that you've done. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, and I think uh, it's going to help uh, evolve yes. and improve the industry as a whole. So thank you so mm-hmm. much.
0: Thank you very much. Very kind.
1: Well, folks, thank you for joining us on another episode of Space Forward. Stay tuned for more deep dives and explorations, journeys we have in store for you, follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. See you next time.